Uh, yeah, it's good, it's good to be with you all again. Um, today we're going to be in Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 34. And we have three whole parables to get through today. So they gave me a really easy passage to, to take on. Um, yeah, so they're not always easy to understand, the parables. They always have some sort of deeper meaning and multiple deeper meanings. And, um, but I've really enjoyed studying them um, in this preparation, uh, and I'm excited to dive into the Word with you all this morning. I'm going to go ahead and read that whole passage, starting in verse 21 of Mark 4. He also said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed, and nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. And be said to them, and he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. By the, work, by the measure you use it, it will be measured to you, and more will be added to you. For whoever has, more will be given to him. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. The kingdom is like this, he said. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises day and night. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed that when sown upon the soil is the smallest of all the seeds in the ground. And when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. He was speaking the word to them with many parables like these as they were able to understand. He did not speak to them without a parable. Privately, however, he explained everything to his disciples. Let's pray. God, you are good and you are kind to us. God, you gave us your word so that we can know you. God, I pray that you, we would seek you out this morning. I thank you for this opportunity to proclaim your word. I pray that you would give me the words to speak, that you would um, use my weakness so that we would see your strength. God, I pray that your spirit would move in this place this morning and um, that we would uh, leave this place more in awe of who you are, more in love with who you are. Amen. Alright, so starting out in this first section of the passage, we have the parable of the lamp, or some translations call it a candle, but it doesn't really, doesn't really matter. Um, yeah, either way, um, either way it's, it's, it's a light, that's the important thing. This parable is being used to describe the way the gospel changes us as individuals. In verse 21, we see Jesus points out that the purpose of a lamp is to light up a room. So to hide it away is to keep it from fulfilling its purpose. So what is the purpose of a lamp? 
Or in what way is Jesus saying that our faith is like a lamp? Verse 22 says, For there is nothing hidden that will be revealed, that will not be revealed, and nothing concealed that will be brought, that will not be brought to light. Nothing hidden that will not be revealed, nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. This verse reveals one of the main reasons the light of the gospel shouldn't be hidden away. And that's because the Holy Spirit uses the truth of the gospel to make us more and more aware of our sin. That process of us being made more and more aware of our sin helps us to repent, and it's called sanctification. We're, made, we're being made more into the image of Christ. And so I, I want you all to imagine, um, I want you all to imagine living, into, living in a giant, beautiful mansion for all of your life. If you never left this mansion, if you were born and raised in this giant mansion, but this man, inside this mansion, you never saw the light of day. Uh, you just lived your life. Don't worry about food. That isn't important in this analogy. But um, you're just living in this mansion. It's dark. It never sees the light of day. Your eyes adjust, though, and you can see around you the, the dim like shapes of the furniture and the walls. You can make your way around, but you can't see the details of anything. And this, this is all before you become a believer. And when you become a believer you're given a flashlight. Um, and this flashlight is the gospel. This flashlight is given to you by the Holy Spirit and you're able to see around you with this light that now you can see the details of this mansion and it doesn't look nearly as beautiful as you once thought it was. This mansion is old, it's decrepit, the floors are like wooden and, and cracking, they haven't been taken care of, the furniture is all stained, but you didn't notice any of that stuff before because you didn't have the Spirit of God in you, the light to see all that was messed up. And so that house is, is how broken, represents how broken we are. And this light is the same light that this passage is referring to um, here. So as we make our way through the house, with this new flashlight, we can now see that the mansion is not clearly as, is not nearly as beautiful as you thought. Um, and the more we look around, the more problems we notice. The more time we spend with God and His Word and in prayer, the more the truth of the gospel affects our hearts and the more our sin is exposed. The Holy Spirit uses this, the Holy Spirit uses this revealing light. Um, this revealing light, not that we would be discouraged about how sinful we are. So if that was your actual house, you might be a little discouraged to fix it all yourself. But it's not that we would be discouraged, but that we would be encouraged that despite how sinful we are, we have received grace and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Some of the wisest men and women I've ever met um, said that the older they got, the more they were aware of how despicable they are. And they don't mean that they were, they don't mean that they think they're more sinful now than they were when they were first believers. They meant that the more they grew in their faith, the more God revealed their own sin to them in, in more unique ways, in deeper ways, in their motivations, in the way that they think. And so, um, it's, and that's a humbling thing. Um, yeah, so a sign of a mature Christian is not a sense of comfort. 
in having arrived at some superior level of spirituality. A sign of a mature Christian is a discomfort with the sins that ensnare us while maintaining a hope and a joy that can only be sustained by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So those, those older believers, those mature believers, they weren't discouraged by the fact that they were discovering more and more of their sin, but they were encouraged to repent because they knew that Jesus was sufficient to take all of that on Himself. As we move along, let's look at verses 23 and 24. If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. Alright, so we've got to pay attention. Jesus is saying these parables are going to be difficult for us to understand, but he wants us to pay attention so that, the, so that we will understand them because they are understandable or intelligible. Um, they're not like beyond our understanding. Alright, if anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. And pay attention. He wants them to pay attention and get it. It was important that the people around Jesus listen and pay attention as he spoke these parables because he wasn't going to repeat himself. The people who were there live with him weren't going to hear this a second time. They didn't have their cell phones to record that conversation. We have the word. These people were just listening. And if they weren't paying attention, they were going to miss it. We have accounts of Jesus' teaching in Scripture to study, but if these people weren't paying attention, they were going to miss the point of what Jesus was saying. And we can just as easily miss the point. Although we have God's Word to study, there are so many distractions around us that can keep us from understanding what God is trying to tell us in His Word. Yeah, so although we have all those means of knowing God, we can miss it. Um, yeah, so because of all these distractions that exist all around us at all times, we must be disciplined in our study of God's Word. Otherwise, we will be susceptible to believing all sorts of untruths about who God is and what He has done. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says, Every scripture is inspired by God and used for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the person delighted to God may be capable and equipped for every good work. And if we believe that to be true, then we should pray earnestly that God would keep us from becoming distracted, that He would give and sustain in us a desire to know and love the truth as it is presented in Scripture. We have God's Word, um, so we don't have to just try to remember what He said before. We can look back and be reminded of what He said to be true. Jesus continues in verse 24, By the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and more will be added to you. For whoever has, more will be given to him. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Excuse me. When I used to read those verses, 24 and 25, I didn't know what to make of what Jesus is saying here. I thought, it sounds like Jesus is taken from the poor and given to the rich. If you don't have less, even what you do have will be taken away from you. If you do have, more will be given to you, is what he said. But he's not talking about earthly things here. He's not talking about material 
wealth, worldly wealth, worldly poverty. He's talking about spiritual poverty, spiritual wealth, uh, being rich in the spirit. Um, Yeah, so these verses refer to the fact that those who have Christ will continue to receive more and more wealth of love and understanding, culminating in the gift of our inheritance in heaven. So although we have, we Christians have Christ today, we are continually being sanctified, knowing Him more and more each day, if we take our faith seriously, if we have the Spirit in us, and one day that will be culminated in our being restored fully, perfected in Christ, in His presence in heaven. This is compared to the life of those who don't have Christ. They have nothing because they don't have Christ. But even their earthly possessions will be taken away when their time here on earth is done. In Christ, we receive His grace grace lavished on us each day. Apart from Christ, we have nothing. So we've looked at what this parable tells us about the process of us becoming more and more like Christ. Now the other application of this parable is that the gospel should be visible in us to the people around us as we live our daily life. And you might be a little confused like why I spent this much time talking about sanctification. The, the first thing I think of when I think about this parable of the lamp is, is us being a light of the world. And uh, so I think that's probably what a lot of people think of at first when they think of this parable of the lamp. Um, and it's, it's good, I mean, but, but we might be surprised, I was surprised to realize when I did that um, that verse or that phrase, being a light of the world and sharing your light with others, it's a, there's three accounts of this parable in Scripture and only one of them has that. The other two, in this one in Mark and the, and the other one in Luke, are both talking about sanctification, the work of um, Jesus making us more like Himself, God making us more like His Son. And um, so, uh, but that's cer- it's certainly applicable in this passage as well. Uh, we are the light of the world. God has given us His Holy Spirit so that we can share with others. Um, God's will is not only that we would continue to be transformed into the image of His Son, but that we would also make his gospel known in the world around us as we know and love him more. And that's a great segue into these next couple of parables. As their main theme is how the kingdom of God is established here on earth. So let's read the parable of the growing seed. Uh, Again, I guess. The parable of God, uh, or sorry, the kingdom of God is like this. He said, A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises day and night. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, and then the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. Now, a couple of things I want to be clear before we dive in. Um, we know that sowing or scattering seed represents the proclamation of the gospel. Uh, that's us preaching the word, making the gospel known, uh, talking about Jesus. All right, um, And we know that from the parable of the sower, which uh, Jeff t- spoke on last week. Um, so the, the word being spread, the seed being scattered, those are synonymous, synonymous with one another. All right, 
Um, in this parable, God is the soil, and I'll talk more about that. Um, we, the universal church of God all over the world, we are the man. We're the man scattering the soil, scattering the seed on the soil. Um, and the crop is the growing kingdom of God. So what can we gather about the kingdom of God from this parable? Number one, we are called to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to those around us. God can save the lost without us, but He invites us to be His ministers of reconciliation. We have the privilege of playing a small part in seeing the kingdom of God grow as people are transformed by the gospel. And for whatever reason, God has given us the task of proclaiming the good news of the gospel so that He would save some of those who hear. Alright, so that's the first thing we can get from this passage. Um, Number two, God produces the growth in His kingdom. God produces the growth. God uses our feeble efforts, the feeble efforts of the church, in our gospel proclamation to save the lost. But we play no part in the actual work of salvation in someone's heart. We can do nothing to turn someone away from their sin on our own. The seed sprouts and grows, but the man doesn't know how it happens. In this parable, Jesus says that the soil produces the crop by itself. That doesn't mean that to produce a crop, you don't don't need sunlight, you don't need water. Jesus is well aware that a plant needs more than just soil to to do well. But what he's saying is the soil produces the crop by itself. It's pointing to the fact that man does nothing to make that plant come up out of the ground. I can't make a plant come up out of the ground by myself. I can, I can produce the environment that might let the plant grow, but I can't, I can't make that seed sprout. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is describing the role he and his co-workers play in their ministry in Corinth. And he says, What is Apollos, really? Or what is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe, and each of us in the ministry the Lord gave us. I planted, Apollos watered, but God caused it to grow. So God is the one who saves the lost in turning, sorry, in, in, uh, in turn growing His kingdom. In the same way, God grows His kingdom in the hearts of us, in the hearts of believers. We are certainly commanded to pursue godliness, but the actual fruit of godliness is not produced by us, in us. God is the one who makes us more like Himself. By revealing our sin to us and by giving us the strength to repent of our sin and turn to Him. The kingdom of God grows as the children of God are conformed to the image of His Son. Alright, one more Lesson number three, God produces the growth of His kingdom in His own timing. We can't skip steps. We can't expedite the process of His kingdom expanding. 
We can proclaim the gospel, teach God's word, and pray that God would do a miracle in the hearts and minds of those who hear. It says, first the blade, then the head, then the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. We know that the parable of the sower, from the parable of the sower, that not every seed produces a healthy plant. And not all plants make it to the harvest. For those of us with loved ones who don't know Jesus, we know this very well. No matter how clearly or eloquently we explain the hope of the gospel, it still takes a work of the Holy Spirit to save them. But we can be encouraged to know that God's timing is perfect. Our perfect Father wants to give us what we ask for. So we can trust that He knows something we don't if He doesn't grant our request. When something happens that's unexpected, we can trust that He knows better than us because we know that He loves us and He wants to give us what we want. His ways are perfect, ours are not. Now let's look at this last parable, uh, the mustard seed. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed that when, when sown upon the soil is the smallest of all seeds on the ground. And when, so, when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. Um, and first of all, I just want to say that God knew that there were smaller seeds than the mustard seed. Um, this seed, it was just a common idiom to say this in this time. Uh, even in these times, in, in, in this area, they knew that there were smaller seeds than the mustard seed. Um, but it was, it's just a phrase of speech that, God, that Jesus was using here in this speech to say the size of a mustard seed. It's, it's a common phrase to say it's very, very small. Um, so we may not be aware of what the Spirit is doing in the hearts of those who hear the gospel proclaimed, but we know that God is slowly but surely growing His kingdom. The nation of Israel started from the bloodline of one man, Abraham, who grew up as a pagan. The same way God made Abraham's descendants as numerous as the stars, God will continue to build His kingdom until people from every nation, language, and tribe know Him as Lord and Savior. It has small beginnings, but it will surely grow. In these last couple of verses, Mark says, He was speaking the word to them with many parables like these, as they were able to understand. He did not speak to them without a parable. Privately, however, he explained everything to his own disciples. Um, so why did Jesus speak in parables? So that we would pay attention. He wasn't trying to speak beyond their ability to comprehend. The people who were in Jesus' presence hearing him speak were able to understand the meaning behind what Jesus was saying. 
but they had to be listening. The same is required of us today if we want to know the truth of who God is and have Him change us, sanctify our hearts, make us more like Christ. We're completely dependent on Him. God, um, I thank You for the work that You have done in each of the hearts, each, each of the minds here in this room. God, I pray that You would continue to conform us to Your image. God, I pray that You would prepare for us. pray that You would prepare for us um, a spot next to Your Son in heaven, God. I pray that we would, we would not become complacent, God, but, we, but that we would long to be out of this place. Um, God, that we would long to be with You. God, that we would know that You are better. And God, that we would long to be in Your presence even while we're here on earth. Amen.